I want you to think for a moment about times in your life when you've been around someone that was genuinely, kind of like Noah, genuinely extremely passionate about something. Now, I know they're different personalities, so the person nest, they don't have to be quite as animated as Noah was when he was up here, but maybe they were. Or maybe just, I'm what you knew them and knew them well, and you knew they enjoyed doing what the two of you were doing together at that time. Think about that just for a minute. Maybe it was a favorite sport or a hobby or, this is Fayetteville, going to a Razorback basketball, football, or baseball game, okay? Or maybe just going with Lee or somebody like Lee that loves food to a great restaurant with a food lover. No matter how much you may tease that person later about their obsession for whatever it is the two of you are doing, it always makes for a better experience, doesn't it? to do something with someone who loves what you're doing together. Well, most of you know, I love to go fishing. I love to be outdoors. More on that in just a few minutes. But I really love to go fishing or hiking or biking or, or climbing a mountain uh, with someone that I know loves it as much or more than I do. Their passion is contagious. More importantly than any of this, I love to worship God. I do. I'm comfortable in rooms with, well, I don't want to label them, but just people that are a little crazy about Jesus, okay? I'm comfortable in those venues and those settings. In fact, I go to them at times, my friends know I call it now spiritual recreation. I don't mind being in rooms where people are crazy about Jesus. It energizes me. It ignites me spiritually. I know that we all worship God in a variety of ways. Some people maybe are not sincere with their emotional displays, but I don't want to judge anyone. I know that most displays of public affection for God are sincere, and they inspire me to express my love for God. Belated welcome to all of you this morning after that little sermon on passion uh, here in our gym sanctuary that we're thankful for are watching with us online. This morning we have the privilege of joining a first century apostle of Jesus Christ, an old man under house arrest in Rome, praying with deep intense, and I want you to feel it this morning as we read the passage, deep, intense, heartfelt emotion and passion for two things. Some of the members of the body of Christ particularly those in the province of Asia that he's writing to, and as he prays for them and intercedes for them, the same passion he has for them, you'll feel the passion he has for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as he prays for his brothers and sisters in Christ. So join me this morning as we look now at Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3, 14, through 21, and my prayer for you, again, is that you feel this passion this morning and it's contagious. This is Paul's conclusion of the first half of his letter, the first three chapters of his letter to the Asian churches. We call it the New Testament book of Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Paul says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Now, I would kneel this morning, but I don't want to preach that exposit this whole 21 verses from my knees. My knees are old and bony, and I'll give out. But Paul's on his knees, 
And it's not normal for Jews to pray on their knees. They only do it at times, especially in the first century, when they were feeling intense emotion or passion about something. Usually, Jews would pray at that time by walking around, standing up. He says, I kneel before the Father. More on this for this reason in just a few minutes. Actually, this is a continuation of a prayer. He started in verse 1 and got interrupted because he wanted to preach. He is a preacher. And Lee preached that little sermon in the middle of the prayer last week. He says, I kneel before the Father. Verse Isaiah 45, 23. We sang about it a few minutes ago. Someday, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But we have the opportunity to kneel before him and worship him right now. And that's what Paul's doing. From whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. What's he saying there? He's acknowledging that God is the creator and sustainer of all life on the planet first. Secondly, he's hinting at God's passion and desire that Jesus expressed right before he left the planet that he have worshipers from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he's acknowledging God's fatherhood in a sense. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, that's a lot of riches, <laughs> he owns the universe. Out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the spirit in your inner being. Power and spirit are often associated with each other in the New Testament. Whose power is he talking about? In this case, it's his power that he gives us through his Holy Spirit in our inner being, our inner person. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, he's not saying that we don't have the Holy Spirit. We don't have the Spirit of Christ, so to speak, if we're Christians. But he's 20, he says dwell here. He's talking about that John 15 thing, that abide thing. That Christ may dwell in you and dominate you and influence you. He would be the obsession of your life. Feel at home in your heart, in your inner being, in your will, in your mind, in your spirit. Through what? That's the conduit that we get to provide our faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. He's going to talk about God's love three times he's going to mention in the next few verses. In love. Whose love? God's love. May have power, verse 18. There's power again. Now, the power is somewhat dependent on how much, in verse 18, we appropriate God's power. We may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. This is his second ask, his second point of intercession, to just begin to grasp how wide, how deep, how high, how long is the love of Christ. Again, the love of Christ is mentioned. By the way, we're four verses in, and he's mentioned the Trinity. Don't miss it. Father first, Spirit second, and it Christ. He's mentioned the Trinity in these four verses. And he's asking God to give people the power to understand at least some of the incredible depth of God's love for them. And to know, verse 19, know here means experientially know. He's not just talking about intellectual knowledge or head knowledge. He's talking about an experiential knowledge. To know his love, to experience his love, to wallow in his love. 
to embrace his love, to feel his love. And he's also saying to express his love. More on that in just a minute to those around us. To know his love that surpasses knowledge. When I used to read that verse, I thought it meant that love was greater than knowledge. That's not what he's saying at all. He's simply saying a paradoxical statement. He's saying, first of all, Jim, I want you to try to grasp how deep God's love is. He said, but you really won't be able to <laughs> because you, it surpasses even you knowing it's what he's saying. It surpasses your ability to know it. But I want you to try really hard. I want you to experience as deep as you can in all kinds of ways. More on that in just a minute. God's love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He wants as much God in him as he can get and as much God in you as you can get. That's what he's saying here. Just put it crudely. I know that's not theologically perfect, but that's what he's saying. That's what he's trying to express. He says in another way later, and he says, be filled, Jim, with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. More on that too in a minute. And then he starts to move toward praise and worship. The passion that he has for these people that he's speaking to, he transfers now that passion to worship and praise to God. He starts to turn his thoughts, rather than intercession and horizontal, he goes straight vertical. Now to him, he says, can't you see him on his knees with his arms raised? Now to him who is able, he's really, really, really able. God has incredible capability to do immeasurably more, Jim, than you can even ask or imagine. According to, not my power now, but his power, that is at work within us. We get to decide, though, how much of that power we appropriate. How much of that power is really at work within us and through us. And then verse 21, just pure praise. To him be glory in the church. That means the family, <laughs> the body of Christ, assembled in this gym this morning. To him be glory in the church. We were worshiping him a few minutes ago. I hope we're worshiping, worshiping in all kinds of ways. This morning, we're doing it through song. And in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus or in Christ or in Jesus is one of the most common phrases in the book of Ephesians. Throughout all generations, forever and forever, amen. Do you feel the passion? The old man had. For there are two things God asks us to be passionate about. The two primary relationships of life. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. Related to it, to love the people he's created in his own image. Verse 14. Let's, let's kind of dissect the passage now a little more. Some of this will be a repeat. Verse 14 looks back to verse 1 of the same chapter. Paul started to pray. He got interrupted because he's a preacher, and he started preaching. Then he goes back to the prayer in verse 14. Lee covered the sermon, that kind of interlude sermon last week. Conclusion of that sermon is share the gospel everywhere you go in all kinds of ways like Paul did. Verse 3, though, chapter 1, he said, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. Then in verse 14, for this reason I kneel with all other. The obvious question is, what's the reason? <laughs> you got to go back to chapter 2. 
For this reason refers to the fact that you are God's workmanship. Remember that sermon? You are his masterpiece. You're the apple of his eye. You're the pinnacle of his creation. And we ought to offer up worship and praise. We of all created beings ought to know and experience his love. For that reason, because you're the chosen ones. Difficult to understand? Yes, but true. You're the chosen ones. You're the member of his family. This prayer is for the human family of God, the church of Jesus Christ. Verse 15, Paul is acknowledging God, again, as the creator and sustainer of all life. The every family refers to God's desire that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation know him. Not just Jews in the first century and not just Americans in the 21st century. And Paul is emphasizing that God is the perfect father, the model father for every family. Paul refers to God as Abba Father 42 times in his letters, an intimate term for God. Verse 16, his glorious riches. He's emphasizing, first of all, love. That's the primary theme of the passage, God's love. But it's more than just God's love. He's emphasizing his unmeasurable wealth and his creative capacity to bless us in every way. Paul's first intercessory ask again is for us to be strengthened with Holy Spirit power. Note, again, he's talking about the Father and the Spirit in the first three verses, and he goes to Jesus, the Trinity's in here in the fourth verse. Note also, the Holy Spirit is often associated with power, dynamis is the word. In the New Testament, Romans 8, 9 tells us that we have the Holy Spirit if we belong to Jesus. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to him. John 10 tells us, though, that even though you have the Holy Spirit, you still got to learn to hear and discern the shepherd's voice in your life. The Galatians 5 says the same thing. Paul tells us there to learn, Jim, to be led by the Spirit. It's a dancing imagery. To learn to stay in step with the Spirit's leadership in your life. That's something we have to practice to get good at. Verse 17, the third member of the Trinity has now introduced Jesus. He now appears in the prayer. Dwell means to abide in, like John 15. There we're told to abide in Christ. Here the instance is letting Christ abide in us or be at home in us, dominating our thoughts, dominating our affections, dominating our words. That's hard for me at times. I say things I shouldn't say. Dominating our behavior. John 14, 23, Jesus said this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. We don't like that expression of worship as much as we do. Some of us just kind of hopping around and raising our hands and singing. God, it receives your obedience as an act of worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2. He asks us to live by his value system. Regardless of what the culture is saying is right or wrong, you're not to stay in step with the culture and social media. We're called to stay in step with the ethos of heaven as expressed in this book, the Bible, as unpopular as parts of that may be. That's how we're to live. And that obedience, he receives his love. He says, my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home 
with them or dwell in them and abide in them. Faith. Faith is also mentioned as an essential to Christ abiding. God gives us faith initially. The Bible's clear on that. We're expected to grow in faith like a muscle that grows as we exercise it. Note, hear this. Because Christ dwells in you, you are now the tabernacle where God dwells on earth. You are the sacred space in a fallen world. When you walk into a room, as I like to say, and I'm saying it more and more often than myself, the manifest presence of the living God walks into the room. And he's supposed to flow from inside of you and emanate to those around you. You're supposed to shine like a star in the night sky. Nope. The reference to God love again appears three times in 17, 18, and 19. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. He's the author of love. He's the definition of love. He's the source of love. God's love is intended to be the foundation according to this passage of our life. Verse 18 and 19. Again, are you feeling the passion of the old man? Are you feeling it? Paul's passion arises from strong conviction, heavy investment of his life resources, and personal experience with God. Paul wants us to experience God's love the way he's experiencing it. It's not a one-time thing. It's a process. It's a lifelong journey. I was sharing with a friend who turned 70 two weeks before me. I turned 70 this week. By the way, 70's not the new anything. It's just old, okay? It's just old. And I can truthfully say that I'm still hungry and desperate for God to experience Him and to know Him more fully. One of the, well, power. Power here refers again in this verse to our spiritual capacity based on our faith and the appropriation of God's Holy Spirit power in our lives. Again, Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. The expressions wide, long, high, and deep, they're simply poetic expressions of the immeasurable quantity and the power of God's love. Again, paradoxically, in one sense, it's impossible to fully know it. In another sense, Paul's longing for all of us to know it experientially, to be consumed by an obsessive love affair with Jesus Christ. We can have confidence and security in his love for us. Romans 8, 38 and 39. It's a passage I read at most funerals or memorial services that I do. It's a passage I remind myself of when I, I really rip my britches and done something really stupid and sinful and I have to be reminded again that I still belong to him, that he still loves me. Paul says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, and he's talking about spiritual powers in the heavenly places, neither height nor depth, <laughs> nor anything else in all of God's creation will be able to separate us, that's you, say it to yourself, we'll be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
We must first experience and dwell in God's love in order to keep the second commandment, to love others. Deuteronomy 6, 5 again, I quoted it earlier. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. Jesus said more than one time, that's priority number one. Number one. 1 John 4, 19 tells us we can love him because he first loved us. And we ought to be experiencing that grace and love. It's like fuel to our tank that allows us to love other people. As we do this, he fills us with his love and his spirit. And I know that the first and second commandment are symbiotic. They're tied together. You can't separate them. So the question on the table this morning, I want to get personal at this point and start to share. But I want you to start thinking about your own life because we're all different. How do you experience Jesus? And how can you experience Jesus and his love more fully? That's a practical application question. I know the pat answers. They're good ones. Through a growing faith, through daily engaging in his word, through personal revelation as you seek him and interact with him through prayer, through confessing your sin to God and to others that you trust, through his spirit, through worship, through service, and through giving. You know what? None of those things just happen. We have to be intentional to commit time, energy, and resources to pursuing and experiencing God's love. So I'm going to give you as an example and share with you, since I was assigned this passage several weeks ago, how I chose to reflect and meditate on God's love this, at least this past week, as Paul is encouraging us to do in this prayer. Number one, these are the ways that I reflected and meditated on the love of God. They're not the only ways that we can do this. These are just maybe helpful to some of you. Number one, a duh. I read and meditated on scriptures that displayed the love of God. There's hundreds of those passages in the Bible. Some examples, Philippians 2, 1 through 11, so-called kenosis, I think is the word, the incarnation, where Jesus, it says, in Philippians 2, 1 through 11, laid aside his godliness. Somehow, I don't understand the incarnation. Every time we talk about we border on heresy because we don't fully understand it. God somehow limited himself, Jesus did, and came to earth as Mary's baby boy and grew up as a carpenter's apprentice in a blue-collar home in Palestine. And somehow, that, that incredible act of incarnation or laying aside some of his power or something is an incredible act. Can you imagine if you're God? <laughs> if you're God coming to earth as a baby at a time when I always like to say there weren't any flush toilets or air conditioning and growing up and living in that culture, he's God walking around there. That's who is in that boat that calls those disciples to say, who is this is in the other end of the boat that even the wind and the waves obey his command? God. He was there hovering over the waters in Genesis 1. He'll be there in the end of the throne whenever you need will bow and every cut confess he's Lord. That's who was in first century Palestine. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. I reflected, I meditated. I contemplated these verses and spent some time just wallowing around them. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
What an incredible expression of love to a fallen humanity. Romans 8, 38 and 39 that I've already read. John 13, 11 through 19, where Jesus washed his disciples' feet as an act of love, a tangible expression of his love for them. 1 John 4, 7 through 21, the great love section of 1 John, I've already read it. God is love. I thought about that a lot. John 19, the most incredible display of his love, the cross, where he laid down his life as an atoning sin sacrifice in fulfillment of laws he had written to appease his own sense of justice that I don't fully understand. He offered himself up as a sin sacrifice. I reflect in all those passages this week. Number two, a very mundane thing. I watched a two-minute YouTube video of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. That's Luke 19, 41 through 44. And this is really personal. I reflected back a lot this week. This will relate to some of you, not all of you, I know. On my outdoor experiences of the last few weeks. You see, I really feel close to God when I get to experience a display of his awesome creativity and power in nature. Quick story about that. I'm going to tell a few. I was out walking or jogging. I don't remember which. I live on top of a very steep hill. A lot of you have been to our house. And, and it's a really, really steep hill. It's high up. And by the grace of God, it faces the west, and we get to see every sunset. Every sunset I get to see. What an incredible privilege. And I forget about that privilege. I don't forget about the sunsets. And I was out jogging or walking or something, and I, I, was, I don't remember why, but I was in one of those whiny, feel sorry for yourself moods, okay? And, and I kind of came up the hill, and, and I was out of breath, and I was kind of walking uh, there in front of my house, and a car pulled up and passed me and stopped right in front of me, and it was late in the afternoon, the sun was setting. And of course, I was worshiping God, thinking about the sunset, and the guy rolls down his window, and I get walk up to his window, he said, hey, I don't think it was an angel, but it could have been. He said, you live in that house? True story. I said, yeah. He goes, do you know how blessed you are to get to see every sunset? That's what he said. And I said, yeah, I do. And he goes, you're blessed. He drove off. My first response to every nature scene, most of the time, is worship. I consider that sunset as a personal invitation by God, a display of his power and his love for me to worship more. Some of you are going to think I'm crazy at this point. The last two months, I've gone on two overnight, they weren't camping, (laughs) I'm 70 years old. They were in cabins, fishing trips, one with the Ellers. And by the grace of God, I guess, it snowed like a dickens. It was one of our first blizzards. And I was outside in it. We were, all four of us were. And, and then I scheduled a trip that goes every year annually last week. And guess what days we scheduled it for? I had a friend flying in from the East Coast, two came up from Little Rock last Wednesday and Thursday. You know what happened last Wednesday and Thursday? Believe me, I do. I was out all day Thursday, all day Thursday, 
fishing, standing in snow and ice and sleet in the boat. It was thundering and lightning and raining. The one guy cussed us out that morning because he didn't want to go out when we made him take us out. Hey, and you know what my thoughts were? Again, I'm telling the truth. Every time the sleet hit my face, not every time, but most of the time, <laughs> the snowflakes hit my face or it did something else. I remember what Jeff Courtway, one of our members, told me a few years ago when I turned over a canoe at eight degrees. And I was trying to make him feel sorry for me and how brave I was. He just looked at me, pat me on the back, and said, Ah, makes you know you're alive. <laughs> <laughs> if you know Jeff, that's him. Let you know that God's on the throne and you're not. So those are some of the ways I reflected back on some of those experiences. Last Thursday, it was 75 degrees. And I was out again with my son-in-law, and I could feel the warm sunshine on my face, and I got to see a sunset over on Swepco Lake. And I remembered his goodness. Every sunset, every moon rise, every snowflake, every moon set, every night sky, you ought to consider an invitation by God to worship him. One reason you were put on this planet to reflect love back to the God that loves you immensely in worship. David was like that. Psalm 19, 1 and 4. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Day after day, they're pouring forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge that he's on the throne, that he's real, that he's incredibly intelligent. When you look up into the night sky, those billions of galaxies out there, do you really think that came out of time, chance, and nothing? God created that. Okay, I went way too long with that. I'm going to move on. The fourth thing I did personally, I prayed my personal thank you Jesus list back to God several times to just remind me of God's specific goodness to me. I hope you have a Thanksgiving list or a thank you Jesus list. I'm a list maker. I know I come off as spontaneous and all that other stuff or whatever some of those terms are, disorganized, but actually I'm secretly anal and organized, okay? So I have lists I make when I pray. And I have hundreds of things written down on this list. And I change it all the time. It's all the time changing. Some of the things I keep the same. I thank Jesus numerous times this week for my salvation. For Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, for the Word of God, for my family members I listed by name. I thank God my grandson is sleeping better, Miles. I thank God for my newest grandson, Elliot. I thank God for my mother-in-law's healing. Even her doctor told her that this week, he thinks she's been miraculously healed. I thank God for the crowds that are coming back to your church for all of y'all sitting here this morning. I thank God for my health. I've been sick for about three weeks. My wife had to put up with me. I thank God, here's a good one. The, the bill I got from the IRS was only $700, not $2,000 like I thought it would be. <laughs> God is very personal. I've got hundreds of things written down on that list. That's some of the things I did this week to remember that a good God loves not just the whole world, but loves me. Verses 20 through 21. Again, a concluding prayer, a doxology for the first three chapters. Verse 20. Paul is telling us what God can do in us and through us individually and as a church if we participate with the Spirit. Let's break that down. 
Number one, he's able. <laughs> Do you think God's able? He's powerful. He's capable. He's creative. He's loving. He's the most powerful, wonderful, creative, and loving, and intelligent being in the entire universe. Number two, he's able to do. That means he's proactively involved in your life if you'll just open your spiritual eyes and see it, some of you. Number three, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly. That means he can pour out blessings, not just on you, but through you to other people. Number four, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can even ask or imagine in our lives and through us into the lives of others that we come in contact with. Note, verse 20 is not just about what God wants to do in and through you personally. All the yous in the section are plural. He's speaking to the local churches he's writing to. It's also about what God wants to do in and through your church. New Heights, if you go here. The early church described in Acts 4, 31 through 33, in its early stages was an example of this. Let me just read one of two passages of Scripture that portrays this. They experienced the goodness of the love of God, and power flowed through with them to the people around them. Let's pick up just a few verses as an example. Acts 4, 31. Peter showed up at the house. He'd been in prison. Or, I think, wait a minute, it's Peter and John. They hadn't been in prison. They'd just been detained and hassled. This is early persecution. And they come back and they have a prayer meeting and they're praying for signs and wonders and they're praying for God to do mighty things among them. In verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Literally, the building was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, I thought they were at Pentecost. I mean, they spoke in tongues. They experienced the power of God. Yeah, this means they were... Spirit manifested himself more in them right then than he did before. That's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit if you already have the Holy Spirit as a Christian. And what was the result? They spoke the word of God boldly to the people around them. Verse 32, and all the believers were one in heart and mind. They were experiencing expressing the love of God to one another in tangible ways. No one claimed that had any possessions of their own, but they shared everything they had tangible expressions of the love of God. The power of God's love is being experienced by them and is being expressed by them is another way of saying it. 33, great power. Power is associated with love and unity and faith and prayer. The apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace, that means his undeserved love, was so powerfully at work in them all. That's one little example of God working through the early church and what he wants to do at New Heights and through every one of his churches. Right now, in this incredibly hard, politically, philosophically, and theologically divisive time we live in, it's not only important that we hold fast to the reliability of Scripture and the historical orthodox teachings of Scripture, that is incredibly important, but that's not all It's important. It's also important that we dwell in and reflect to each other and to our culture the love of God in very real and tangible ways. 
The Bible's clear again. There's a correlation between loving God and loving people. One other simple little thing that you can do to experience God's love and His pleasure with you is to go do something good this week for somebody else. Some simple little thing. Maybe more than one simple little thing. Take someone a meal. Encourage someone. And do it as unto the Lord. And you will feel God's pleasure with you. With you personally. And it's okay to want to feel God's pleasure with you. Like the early church we read about in Acts 4. We need to be as a local body of Christ. Expressing God's love personally and corporately to the community and the world. We need to allow God to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can think or imagine. Not only in us, but through us in real and tangible ways. If we participate with His Spirit, we will do just that. God's giving you permission this morning, this week. Number one, to worship Him passionately. To pray fervently. To give sacrificially. And to love people fiercely. And when you do that, He'll do more than you can ask or imagine in you and through you. Right now, we have another opportunity. Let's stand and practice for the next few minutes. Part of what Paul was preaching and praying about, heartfelt expressions of love of God and the worship of God, we're going to offer up what Bible calls the sacrifice of